welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And now it's our pleasure to welcome back to the podcast for our weekly chat. It is Gary Danielson, the SEC on CBS lead analyst, uh, coming off a doubleheader last weekend, of which he was there for Georgia at Auburn, Auburn's big win. We've got another doubleheader coming up this weekend. The noon game will be Mississippi State at Arkansas, and then it will be Kentucky at Georgia between the hedges. Gary there on the call. Uh, Let's start with the Bulldogs. Eight plays, 70 yards, a couple big uh, passing plays to Javon Wims and Terry Godwin, and then the Georgia offense just totally got shut down. Only about 35 net yards on the next handful of possessions. Uh, From your spot in the booth, you know, where was it, where did it really start to go wrong for Georgia's offense in terms of not being able to ever find that kind of success again? Yeah, I think there was a, a combination of a lot of things going on in, in Georgia's head. Part of it uh, was physically, they were, they were shocked at how they were being handled physically on the field, especially in the trenches. But I also think, um, and I tried to mention it once during the game, I hope it's hard sometimes to get it across, is you know if you're not used to that rarefied air of playing a big game as the number one team in the country, playing on someone else's home turf, um, knowing that the other team can save their season with a good outing, uh, a team that you've beaten the last two years. You know, that's a lot for a team to put on their plate. Uh, and, and a lot of teams just aren't used to that being. You know how when you uh, climb a mountain, uh, you know, you got it used to the altitude. Uh, the altitude affects how you think. It affects your, your muscles, your, your flexibility, your strength. And I feel all of the altitude adjustments that uh, Georgia thought they were ready for, they really weren't. And then they missed a few opportunities early in the game, and I, I thought they lost their composure and never really found it again. It's, um, I guess the, the best way to put it is the way Mike Tyson put it. Everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the right. mouth. And this is... And, and I, and that's what happened to George. Well, and isn't this such an interesting spot for Kirby Smart, uh, a head coach who there have been, you know, a lot of expectations on ever since he was Nick Saban's top assistant, you know, the defensive coordinator in Alabama. Uh, he seems to immediately in his second year be able to have an impact in terms of taking Georgia uh, to national championship, not just SEC East championship, but national championship contention. Isn't this a... a a very interesting test for the young head coach at this point in his career? Well, I think he's off to a great start, though, for, for one reason. Listen, everybody gets beat. Uh, and I thought um, the way Kirby handled it, especially coming off at halftime and after the game, I, I thought he showed a ton of leadership, mm. long-range leadership. Now, every, you know, everybody makes bad calls. Everybody makes... Uh, split-second decisions that they might like to have to, a do-over on. But I thought Kirby's composure of when he answered, you know, we were talking about his clock management and uh, choices of plays at the end of the half. Uh, we only got one playoff, basically, before a long field goal. I I thought that was really great to see him say, yeah, you know, if we had to do that over again, 
we, we might not like, uh, you know, we might change our strategy. Obviously, it didn't work. We were thinking, and you could almost feel him thinking out loud that, you know, hey, guys, we've been getting sacked all the first half. We were worried about pass protection. We didn't want to lose a field goal by getting sacked out of field goal range. We did the best, but he didn't just snarl and walk away. He, you know, he owned up to it. I thought that was number one. And then I thought it was also great after the game when he just admitted, hey, we got our butt kicked. And, uh, you know, we're going to see what we're all about going forward, that this is something that happens to a lot of teams and it's how we handle it, even taking the next step when he was told and baited about what Gus Malzahn had said off record. I mean, in fairness to, to Gus, he was walking away from the camera and one of the Auburn fans had said something to him and he goes, we just beat the dog out of him and it was captured by our uh, mics. And, uh, you know, it went viral, at least in the SEC. And I, I love the way Kirby handled that. And he said, hey, you know, the guy, he beat the dog out of us. Yeah. You know, I don't have a problem with what he said. Now, whether he did or not, he wasn't going to let you know about how he felt about it. You know, that was staying in the program. That was going to be a motivational thing for him to use. And I respect that a lot. There, You know, I don't let people get close to me. I call them the way I see them. And I, you know, I make mistakes. I've made mistakes as a player, as a broadcaster, as a father, none of your business. I'm going to be polite, answer your question, but I don't let you know everything I'm thinking. And I thought Kirby handled that right and, and, and properly. And I, I think it will benefit his football team as he goes forward. Gary, I, I don't know about you, but I, I wasn't shocked that Auburn was able to shut down Georgia. What I was shocked about was Georgia's inability to sort of bring that same fight to Auburn's offense. I, I, I didn't think Georgia could be dominated like that defensively with this team. What, what was your takeaway from, from seeing that? And maybe, uh, maybe it's a, a takeaway for Auburn offensively um, because certainly they, they yeah. one of their best showings of, of the year as well. You know, Aaron, I'm, I'm not uh, sure what I expected. I thought it would be a rather low-scoring game. I thought both defenses would, you know, make it a under-21 game. You know, I could have seen a 19-17, 17-14 football game uh, because, you know, I have a lot of respect for, for Georgia's defense. But I think the lessons that LSU learned in, excuse me, that Auburn learned in the LSU game when they, you know, kind of slowed down, they looked at the clock, they tried to get out of the half with a with a lead. They didn't. Uh, they tried to take a a, a score and and kind of milk it. They didn't. I thought they learned a lot of lessons about how to play in a big game from from that LSU game. And I also think that you know, unless you've been there before, when you get a pressure point, I've been there as a quarterback when I called plays myself. I've been there as a backup quarterback, and now I've witnessed you know 400 football games as a broadcaster when you get a pressure point in a game that's not working and and for georgia it was the pressure point of if we get into third down and even medium and we have to drop back i talked about it uh, throughout the broadcast um not georgia was excuse me georgia was figuring they could handle it auburn was thinking that they could win third down they thought they could dominate third down, and that was coming to fruition. And I could almost feel Jim Chaney, and this is where I said most people aren't there. As a play caller, that dominance and distortion at one part of the game affected every other part of the game that Georgia had. 
every play call he made, he was going, all right, I got to stay out of, you know, third and long. I got to get it to third and, and second. I don't want to throw the ball because God forbid it's incomplete and we get second and long. And um, I thought that one part of the game, it, it distorted their pass routes. They kept an extra back in almost every play. And on more than half of the plays, they kept a tight end and a back end back in only sending three receivers out. So, you know, Georgia has to fix that. Now, there are not a lot of teams that can do this to Georgia the way Auburn can. I mean, you're talking about Clemson, maybe a Florida State, maybe Ohio State, uh, obviously Auburn, perhaps even LSU. Um, Alabama, because of their injuries and graduation and the loss of some of their top players, do not rush the passer like this. Mm. Not the way Auburn does. They have to bring multiple people to put pressure on on teams. So I think you're seeing the toughest matchup that uh, Georgia could have faced in this game, and Auburn was ready. I mean, come on, you lose to Georgia the year before, and you don't even give up a touchdown. Your defense is going to be ready to play against Georgia. You have to know that. I, I do want to get off this game, but I, I want to ask you one more question. Like, Was there any temptation in your head to go to, well, this might be finally a spot where we're seeing, hey, is, would, would Jacob Eason be a better fit in this game where you may have to just sit back there and throw a little bit more? Yeah. Uh, or, or, what, what was your take on and, and maybe where that situation stands? Not that there's a change yeah. coming, but whether or not that, that would have been a temptation for you. It's, a, it's an interesting question. I think if Georgia had a loss, okay, and weren't undefeated, I, I think that would have happened in this game. I think the fact that they've had so much success and things were rolling so well that they dare not even have Jacob Eason come in and do well, because then you pro- provide doubt for the football team. And I'm not, and I, I know what you're saying. I, I, I'm not blaming this, and I don't think your question infers that this was a blame on on Jake Fromm. I, um, I do not believe he was the main reason why the Georgia offense wasn't working, but it is. You know, sometimes looking around, you're right. I mean, uh, the same decision-making problems that a Kirby Smart has, Nick Saban might have in a tight game where they're not able to throw the ball well enough with Jalen Hurts and you're tempted to put Tua in until you really watch Jalen Hurts finish another game and you know and you think afterwards is, you know, if I'm tempted, he I, I think Nick Saban turns around and goes, if I'm tempted to put Tui in, somebody slap me because we might have the the best clutch player in college football playing for us in Jalen Hurts. That guy is an amazing football player. And you, you mentioned that last week in our chat uh, in the context of a player who, for Heisman consideration, individual accolades, yeah. you know, it could see his star rise. And then, you know, not five days after we talk, they put the ball in his hands on the road in Starkville. And then sometimes I have to, you know, remind myself that this true sophomore from Texas led Alabama down the field afterward the game his teammates are talking about uh you know he's a a winner he was giving us confidence he was calm and cool and collected and I I wonder if when we're looking across the landscape of the SEC if if Jalen Hurts isn't a player who's going to insert himself into the conversation again as the SEC offensive player of the year Oh, I don't think there's any doubt. I don't see how he can't consider him or Carryon Johnson as the two favorites right now going forward. I mean, you know, if 
I, I know how valuable Jake Fromm is to Georgia. I, I get that. But, you know, the two most valuable players in the league, there's no doubt. And Hertz is one or Hertz is number two. Those two guys are invaluable to their football team. Um, Jalen is the rare player. It does not happen very often. You're talking about, um, you know, in, in college football, you, you can grab the names, you know, a Marcus Mariota, a Tim Tebow, uh you know, that I'm sure there's plenty others, okay, that not only do they have confidence in themselves um, and, and exude that confidence, but they give confidence to everyone else around them. Tim Tebow is another one, okay? Um, it, not only does uh, Jalen, you know, you, you look at him and go, wow, he, he, I'm, I'm going to follow this guy. As a play caller, you feel better about what you're doing. As a head coach, you gain more confidence because of his calm uh, attitude out there and the way he competes and the way he plays under pressure. I've said this over and over again. It's almost impossible to win a national championship and not have two or three games where you're just grabbing onto your bootstraps and going, we got to get through this one way or another. We just got to figure out a way to win. And that clutch gene has resided in Tuscaloosa for a long time now. You know, uh, McElroy did it with his drive, uh, his two-minute drive. Now, it's skipped around. You know, Cam did it when they came back, when they were 24 points down in, in uh, Tuscaloosa to beat a- Alabama that year, when he just put the team on his shoulders for that game. But then A.J. McCarron showed it, and then, Blake Sims showed it, and Jake Coker showed it, and now they've got another one in Jalen Hurts, and that just spills over to that whole football team. Alabama's one of the most clutch football teams I've seen, and I've been doing this for you know 25 years. We've got uh, a whole nother week to wait, but it has been announced that the SEC on CBS uh, on November 25th will be at the Iron Bowl in Jordan-Hare Stadium uh, based on, you know, again, we will have more time to preview this game in depth, but based on what yeah. we saw from both the Tigers and the Tide this past weekend, um, what what is your general read on this game other than just a winner-take-all title fight just the way that Auburn and Alabama want to have it? Um, I have no doubt in my mind that the way Auburn's playing right now, especially on that defensive front seven that I told you about, you know, uh, where they are. And, they, you know, they've got a first or second round corner out there in Carlton Davis as well. Um, you know, they've got senior Trey Matthews, who's, you know, a, a load back there in the secondary that is, uh, you know, seen it all, been there and a very physical football player. And then the way they're playing with their veteran offensive line, um, Jarrett Stidham gives them so many different options and the way Alabama has shown they're vulnerable because of injuries uh, and breakdowns in that offensive line uh, that they have not been able to dominate the way they thought. You know, they're going back to the jet sweep package and running it off that and they're running Jalen Hurts. They, you have to do what you have to do to win that, um, you know, Alabama – you know, going into that game, that will be maybe one of the toughest road games they played in a long time in this conference. Okay. Yeah. And uh, if they if they earn that win, they will be in the playoffs. There, there's no doubt in my mind that they will be in the playoffs. Now, they, it's going to get a little bit hairy. I understand. Okay, because you you can name all the winners in front of them just like I can. You know, what if Georgia beats them? 
What if Wisconsin goes undefeated? What if Oklahoma goes undefeated? And obviously Clemson or Miami are going to have a spot. But uh, that might be the best win that I, I will see in college football this year. The way Auburn is playing, they could beat anybody in that stadium this weekend. I think there's no doubt with the way Auburn won, won against Georgia that that game all of a sudden is, you know, the level of excitement for that game is, is ramped up exponentially. I'm curious, you sound like you've got real concerns about Alabama, and I'm a little torn on that because that was a real that was a perfect spot for Mississippi State to come in there with it was. Yeah. injuries defensively for Alabama, home game at night. Um, I'm curious where where you where you balance it, where do you come down with with you know it being just you know, hey, like you said, you always got to find a game where it's a close game and you win close versus, hey, this is real. Alabama really is vulnerable. Where, where do you uh, balance that out? Where do you come down in that spectrum? I, I said, I've been doing this now 12 years in this league. You don't pick against Alabama. They got too many good football players and they got the most clutch player in all of college football. I mean, he, you know, he finishes these games off the way Vince Young finished the games off when he was playing at Texas. And Tim Tebow, remember when Tim beat him in the 2008 SEC championship beat Alabama. I think he went six for six in the fourth quarter, throwing the ball. You know, I mean, Nick Saban couldn't believe it when he, in fact, he just tipped his hat afterwards. He goes, what do you want me to do? Guy, the kid hit the passes. Um, so yes, the, the biggest wild card in the field is still Jalen hurts, but it's going to be a quality win. Let me just put it that way. And uh, no one who watched that Auburn football team dominate on both lines of scrimmages. Okay, because there's no strategy. There's no plays on that play sheet that work if you can't block them up front or you can't uh, can control the line of scrimmage. All this other stuff is, is just window dressing because if you can dominate the line of scrimmage, um, you can throw strategy out the window. So over in the East, we've got another coaching change. Um, Butch Jones has gone to Tennessee. Um, obviously, kind of faded off towards the end of his, his tenure there, and, and they've looked pretty rough right. recently. Where does Tennessee now look? And, and again, sort of like I asked you with Florida a few weeks ago, I, I don't, you know, you can give names if you want, but I'm really curious what, what you think Tennessee has been missing that they need to address in this coaching search. What sort of profile should they be looking for uh, in their head coach? Um, Tennessee's a really interesting uh, you know, place because of their tremendous success in the seventies and eighties. Um, they, you know, they're looked upon as a, uh, a powerhouse football program, but they're one of the few that I can recall off the top of my head that is located in a state that doesn't produce any football players, you know, and before they were able to go around be in uh, the, the country before everyone was nationally recruiting. Tennessee's recruiting budget was bigger than I, I think it was number one in the country for like 10 years straight. Well, that advantage uh, has kind of dissipated. So, so it's a, it's a fight. You know, you got to get kids who want to go to Tennessee to bypass Ohio state and, and, and Notre Dame and Michigan from the North and Penn state and bypass, you know, Georgia uh, bypass Alabama, bypass Auburn to, to come and play for him from the South. So it's a fight. So you need a dynamic leader. Um, I don't really think it makes any difference what kind of style. I, I really don't. You know, if you're a sound football coach, you can go hire the right foot players. Uh, but you need uh, in that town right there, 
you need to show that it's much like to me coaching at Michigan because of the great um, history of sound football under Bo at Michigan. I think the same thing holds from what Philip Fulmer did and you know Nalen did. Um, you have to be sound. The, the 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 eye of the Tennessee fan can accept a loss. They can't accept bad football, questionable decision making, um, odd statements after the game. You need a solid person who can handle the mic, can handle the sideline, and can handle the recruiting. I think you can hire the core. It doesn't matter if you're running off tackle or you're, what, what you're doing. I think you need the leadership position to be beyond reproach and, and have the, um, the Tennessee fan looking at it and said, yeah, this guy knows what he's doing. You know, it's like going out to pick a doctor. Right. You know, there's tons of doctors out there. When you're sick, you're looking for the best doctor. And the Tennessee football program is sick, and they just can't call in a hot doctor. You got to go get the best doctor. It seems like the Tennessee program, and this was a um, one of the twenty four seven sports writers from around there put this uh, out on the column. But um, you know, Butch Jones was a good person to get this program to where they are now. That you could argue that the program's in a better state, particularly with the personnel in place, than it was when Derek Dooley was out. But Butch Jones, maybe for some of those same reasons that you just mentioned, uh, you know, the way you're interacting with the media, some of your messaging, maybe wasn't uh, the person who can get this program to the next level. Do you see any any truth to that from your standpoint? I guess yes. I think that's what I was trying to say. The, the other, you know, like. Sometimes a, a coach's style, the way he talks, the way he just carries himself, uh, you know, the, the strategies of uh, how he coaches during the game just doesn't fit the program's mind's eye of what should be done. And, uh, you know, I thought Rich Rodriguez uh, at Michigan was never a fit. And, and the, no matter what he did, Michigan fan wasn't buying it. They just well, that's not how we play football here, you know. Mm. And and I, and I and I thought that on John Cooper at Ohio State, they had a lot of success, but it was never a fit. Jim Trestle came back and it fit what Ohio State Buckeye fan was looking for. Um, I'm sure there's many many others that we can go through, you know, if we, we took our time. But I do think that at Tennessee they've got a kind of a idea of what they you know they want a tough sob there they want a nick saban they don't want somebody telling stories about you know what's happening off the field they don't care they literally don't care we they want to leave it all on the field and if we lose uh, and and then i listen i have been criticized for 12 years about this in the sec and i just call them the way i see them i hate their schedule tennessee's schedule I hate the way they finish their schedule. They got no juice at the end of their schedule. You know, they they need to switch around. And I think it'd be better for the league. I think the Florida Florida State game should go at the beginning of the season. I I hate that Florida plays Florida State at the end, and I hate that Florida Tennessee is the first week. And I know there's a lot of, you know, when I tread into this area because of the tradition of this conference, I just get killed. I don't care. I I hate their schedule. The back end, you, we, 
for the major TV networks, they almost have to hold their nose and take a game. Right, and it's you know this year they'll have uh, they'll have LSU, but that's all because it's a rotating opponent. Correct, correct, yeah. and you know, and and if Missouri or Kentucky or Vanderbilt got really good for six eight years, okay, it'd be different, but it just doesn't seem to happen. And I and that's one of the things that I think the conference needs to look out at. There's there's some weeks when there's so many good games, and there's other weeks where wait, why aren't we spreading some of these great games out into other weeks so the fans can enjoy some of these great SEC matchups, and especially Tennessee. And I well, I know it probably doesn't make any difference, but I'm just saying from a broadcasting point, and I think just keeping your team uh, involved in the season, they need to switch some some of these things around. For And I think they catch a bad break having to play Alabama every year. Sure. I just, I just do. I, I think the same thing for LSU in Florida. I think it's a distortion in the fairness of the schedule. And I, I, for years, I've been thinking the way they can solve this and make it more fair for everybody is go to nine games. Oh, uh, nine games. Well, that's, that's, that's the real heated debate. That's when, this I know. Of nonsense here with, uh, with a bunch of UABs and, and ULMs and Waffords on the schedule. Absolutely. I understand it. But, you know, I would love to see for this conference them to play four home four away and one neutral site game every team every team do that mm, it's not a and, bad and idea go, go to around to different cities and 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 spread your your product out uh, around all the whole east coast and you know go to dallas more i i don't think i don't like the distortion that some teams have uh these neutral site games and other teams don't i think it's unfair so i i, I think that's where the you know, Commissioner Sankey and I, I guess we get just disagree a little bit. I think that there's this conference could be made a little bit better. Mm, I, I like your ideas. I don't, know if, I don't know if Commissioner Sankey has the power to do that. I Let's be fair here. I don't really mean it that way. And I don't really know how he thinks about it, to tell you the truth. But I, I just wish somebody was pushing for it. I can't imagine I how difficult it would be to get all of those university oh, presidents I, I, and athletic directors behind anything. <laughs> Like the, that's probably true. I, it, Nick Saban lobbies for it, and it isn't go, it's falling on deaf ears, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, Gary, before we get you out of here, Georgia and Kentucky this weekend, it's the SEC finale for the Bulldogs. They've yeah. already punched their ticket to Atlanta. What are we trying to pay attention to as we play out uh, these next couple games that will decide whether or not Georgia is playing for the national championship in January? Yeah, interesting what they're going to do. Because I think if you're Kirby Smart and he calls his staff uh, together, he goes, listen, you know, Kentucky's a little underrated to the national press of what they are. They're a pretty good physical football team. Uh, it's a good test for us to come back and, and, and play them. You know, it's not a sleeper game for them. You know, they're not playing Mercer or Coastal Carolina or somebody like that. This is a legitimate football team that should uh, pique their interest. But I look at it as what do they do now understanding that success for them is playing whoever they face in the SEC championship game right to the wire? If Georgia loses, they cannot lose like they lost again. So how do they take their program? What do they do? Do they open it up more? Do they, they say, listen, we have to throw more on early downs. Do we have to uh, lay it all out there with the risk that your freshman quarterback may make more mistakes or do you just stick with the formula that got you here and take your chances and just write that off as a bad game and we'll get better? 
it's risky either way, and I'm kind of curious to see what we see uh, and whether Georgia tips their hand that they say, all right, the way we were playing just won't work against the big guys. We have to try something else. Or do they say, nope, we're going to dance with what we're going to dance with what brought us. And that's we're going to play sound football and we're just going to do it better. It's an interesting game. Gary, on the national front, before we get you out of here, where do you have a Gary Danielson top four right now? Four that you think are not not necessarily a playoff four, but who you think are the best teams in college football? Because this we got a real shake up this weekend in terms of what. Yeah. We, um, well, you know, this yeah, year kind of rem- this those- year kind of reminds me of 2007. You know, when when it went right down. Um, you know, we have all talked about this for a lot of times uh, uh, for since 2001. Gary Danielson, uh, since 2001, when Nebraska got beat by Colorado. Okay, and uh, I was doing that game, and uh, I was saying on air, I was younger than, braver than maybe, saying that <laughs> Nebraska did not belong in the national championship and got destroyed even with my bosses at ESPN it was from everyone, okay? And I've, been, I've hung there. I've stayed there saying that the conference championships should carry more weight. They're not just a game. And I and uh, if you win a conference championship, it should mean something. But it could get very complicated, as you guys know. Okay, we could have multiple two-loss champions this year. We could have three conferences with two-loss champions this year with that are legitimate football teams. And because of what the committee did last year, the precedent they set last year of bypassing not only a team that beat the other team, but a team that wasn't the champion – into the playoffs, I think has this committee in a huge pickle. Um, and I, I don't know how they get out of it except for to pray that everybody just keeps winning and they don't have to make any decisions. That's the only thing I could see is if Wisconsin holds the chalk, Oklahoma holds the chalk, Alabama holds the chalk, and either Miami or Clemson holds the chalk, and they could just say, see, we got it right, even though they didn't. They were wrong on almost everything. So, uh I think they cause more problems than they help. I don't think they sell one more ticket or one more person watches a game by coming out with these weekly uh, rankings. I I really don't. I think the AP and the coaches poll would be fine. Just as many people would be watching. And I think the committee is making a huge mistake ranking teams and saying, as of now, here would be in the playoffs. When they know darn well, as of now, doesn't matter. (laughs) because they know that Auburn or Wisconsin has to play three more games. And if they do, they will be in the four. They know darn well. So I, I think uh, they're wrought with the potential uh, 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 just as bad as it was a year ago when they decided for Ohio state when, and now look who's lurking again, Ohio state. And what do they do with them? Oh my goodness! That that Ohio State team with two losses could come in and uh, and create a lot of problems if they defeat an undefeated Wisconsin to hand them their first loss in the Big Ten championship. Sure. Game. And what if TCU wins and Auburn wins and USC wins and Stanford beats Notre Dame? There's so many things that can go on yet from this. And I I literally I said it 
you know, if I do, don't, I would take all their film or tape and computers away from them. Say, and just come here, we'll put the team's records on the blackboard and we'll choose four. What are you people watching? I don't understand <laughs> it. Well, they said in their own founding document that they consider their job an art, not a science. So they think very highly of the process. <laughs> they're, they're proving it, aren't they? <laughs> they sure are. Uh, he is Gary Danielson. He will be on the call for Kentucky at Georgia from Sanford Stadium. 3.30 p.m. Eastern time is the kickoff. Gary, thank you so much. Enjoyed it. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you.